I've got a number of scriptures I want to read with you this morning. If you've got your Bibles, we're not going to preach widely on them, but I just want to read them. I want to first of all read some verses from Leviticus chapter 23. That's a way back in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 23. And I've got written above, not this Bible, but the old Bible, God's calendar for redemption. Because Leviticus 23 is what is commonly known as the Feasts of Jehovah. And it's as if we are having a look this morning at God's to-do list written so many thousands of years ago. You know how we, we all like, well, I don't like to-do lists. <laughs> I really don't like them. And you write them down, you've got to take them off as you do them. But I believe we're getting an insight this morning as we read these verses from Leviticus 23 that we're looking at something that God has written about his to-do list and bringing about redemption and bringing about salvation and bringing about a touching of the world and a reversal of all that Satan had done in this world by the cross of Jesus. It says in verse number 1 of Leviticus 23, and it would be, be good if I was at the right book, and uh, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed feasts. It's as if you're looking at God's list of appointments that he has preordained would take place first of all in the feasts that were going to be kept year after year by his people but looking forward to something that was far more wonderful. I want to say that the cross of Jesus was no accident. It was planned of God. God knew that Jesus would come and we get that in the the first feast which is the Passover then we get the feast of unleavened bread and then we get this wonderful feast called the feast of first fruits we're going to just read them this morning verse number 9 the Lord said to Moses speak to the Israelites and say to them when you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap the harvest bring to the feast a sheaf of the first grain of your harvest he is to wave the sheep before the Lord so that it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. Now you have to read the rest of or the earlier verses to find out what that Sabbath was. It was a Sabbath during the Passover. And on the day after the Sabbath, now this was a new day for the, in the calendar of the children of Israel. This was what we would call the eighth day. They were used from going from Sabbath to Sabbath, but here was a day after the Sabbath in which the priest was to take that first fruit from the grain of harvest and wave it before the Lord. That was to be a wave offering. And Paul picks it up in, in Corinthians when he says, Christ is our first fruits. And we are among those who are going to follow. Because Christ has risen, amen, we also shall live and eternally in the presence of God. Isn't it wonderful this morning to know that those who believe are written in God's appointment book. That the first fruits are waved before God Jehovah. As an indication that there was a harvest that was yet to come. 
And we're in that harvest this morning. Amen. Come on. <laughs> Get excited. We are in that harvest this morning. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you are among the harvest that Jesus Christ was the first fruits of. God's appointment book. He's already he has already written the the, 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 the to-do list for salvation, for sanctification, for regeneration. For justification, they were all written in God's appointment book in Leviticus chapter 23. Let's turn over quickly in our Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Let's turn over, I'm just trying to do a wee bit of background here because, now if that was an entry in God's diary, so to speak, we're going to look now at an empty tomb in reality. Mark chapter 16 and verse... Uh, uh, let me just get to it and verse number verse number 6 this is the, the, they're on the way to the tomb they have they, they want to see the tomb and they come and the stone is rolled away and this is what uh, the, the angel said to them don't be alarmed he said verse number 6 don't be alarmed he said you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified he has risen he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. Paul says in that wonderful song that we sang after that, uh, that beautiful mime. Was that uh, if Christ is not risen our faith is in vain. If Christ is not risen, we are of all men most miserable. Because all we've got is words and nothing else. But praise God this morning, Christ is risen. And we not only are words, but we have the same life that Jesus has is now imparted into us as part of his body. And so the risen Christ is up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. You can't beat the old hymns, can you? <laughs> Low in the grave he lay. Jesus, remember the night I was baptised, that, was that was a common hymn that they sang uh, in, the, in the assembly at Bones where I was brought up. Remember? as a 40 year old boy being baptised as he come up out of the water it was up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes he arose a victor from the dark domain I want to tell you this morning that the victory has been won amen, amen. it's not going to be won the victory is won and we are not part of the site who's going to win. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, we are on the victory side. Amen? Amen? We are on the victory side. And here was Jesus risen from the dead. But did you notice that little phrase? You know, the, the, the minute that Jesus rose from the dead, he went looking for those that he loved. Go and tell my disciples and Peter... You know, and Peter, he was the one who had denied him, who had denied him with oaths and curses. I don't know this man. And yet Jesus in his risen, resurrected power, his first thing, he, the angel said, go and tell my, his disciples. And Peter, 
You know, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that the love of God? Isn't that the grace of God? Isn't that the mercy of God? That here was the one who had denied him with oaths and curses. But Jesus went looking for him. And he found him on the seaside. If you'll read another gospel, we find him on the seaside in, uh, by the lakeside in John chapter 20. Where Jesus has this wonderful conversation with Peter. He didn't get him by the, by the collar and shake him and say, why did you deny me? Of all that you saw and all that I did. No, he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? <laughs> Peter said, yes Lord, I love you. And Jesus said again to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And again Peter said, you know Lord, I love you. Then a third time Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said again, yes, you know Lord, that I love you. You see, Jesus meets us at our point of need this morning. Because I'm not going to go into Greek this morning, but when you read that in the Greek, it takes on a different meaning. Because Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with this, with this, this high divine love, this, this all-compassing all love? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I follow you. I love you like a brother. And Jesus said again, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with that love? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I follow you. Which is brotherly love again. I love you like a brother. And Jesus could see what Peter's heart. And then the last time Jesus said, Peter, do you follow me? You see, Jesus came right down to where he was. And he understood where Peter was. And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. There might be someone here this morning who at some time have denied Jesus. Who have had the opportunity to speak on his behalf and say nothing. In fact, to turn your back and walk away. I want to tell you, Jesus comes looking and he says, I, I love you. And I want to draw you back into, my, into myself. And Peter, the denier, is brought back into the fold. And then he goes looking for Thomas. You know, when Jesus appeared in the upper room and Thomas wasn't there, and they told him, Thomas, Jesus is alive. Oh, unless I see... Unless I put my hand in and feel his wounds, I will not believe. And Jesus went after the doubter. Because the next time that Jesus arrived, Thomas was there. And he said to Thomas, reach hither thy hand. And Thomas said, oh my Lord and my God. There might be some amongst us this morning who are doubters. Who, who have doubts about their faith at times. I want to tell you, Jesus is still coming looking for you. Because he wants to bring you into all the fullness that he has for you. He went after the denier. He went after the doubter. But he went after the disappointed. Yes, so much of our life is lived in disappointment, isn't it? And here's two on the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 23. And they're walking away from Jerusalem. And this stranger draws up beside them. The Bible says, and Jesus drew near and went with them. And he asked them what has been going on and they tell them. And this is what they say, we thought. All their hopes have been built up on this man who was going to release them from the Roman oppression. We thought that he was the answer to all our prayers. We thought that this man... 
And Jesus walks with them and enforces on the scripture and shows them how Jesus must have come and suffered and bore away the sins of the world. And then they asked him to stay. He would want to go further. He was going to move away from them. And they constrained him to say to stay. They said, No, stay with us tonight. And when Jesus came into the house, there was the revelation of who he really was. Are you disappointed this morning? Is your spirit disappointed this morning? Do you feel that in some ways you've let down God or, or, or possibly you feel that God has let down you? He wants to walk with you this morning. He wants to bring you to this place of revelation this morning. He wants, the risen Christ wants to tell you that he had to suffer in order that he could save your soul. And so Jesus in the, from the empty tomb went looking for the denier. He went looking for the disappointed. He went looking for the doubter. And he found those who had been distracted. Oh how easy it is in the Christian journey this morning to be distracted, isn't it? Peter said, oh I'm going back to the fishing. I'm going back to do the things I used to do. And so Jesus finds those who were distracted. Gives you a list of the, all those who went fishing. And in, that, uh, in their distraction, who appears but Jesus? You see, the early church of believers was not made up of super saints. I want to tell you, the early church was, was men and women that Jesus went looking for. They had been scattered by his death. They had been, they had, they had been in, in denial. They had been doubting. They had been distracted. They had been disappointed. And yet Jesus went after them in a resurrection power. And he drew them all back into his fold. And that was the basis for the early church. Amen? Isn't God wonderful? He goes looking this morning. And he's still looking. He's still searching. He's still looking for those who have doubts. He's still looking for those who are disappointed. He's still looking for those who are distracted. He's still looking for those who are evil in denial. Because he loves you. And he goes looking for you in order that he can bring you near and bring you close. An entry in God's divest. An empty tomb in reality. And if you've got your Bibles, we're going to, we're going to turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to, to look at something of experiencing the power of the resurrected life. Amen? To experience the practical, everyday outworking of the resurrected power. If you turn with me back over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, he is risen. Isn't that a wonderful message this morning? That we're speaking about a risen saviour. One who's conquered the grave. Yeah, he's conquered death. He's conquered sin. And he's alive. He's alive forevermore. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. And if we read from verse number uh, 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. You know, this resurrected Jesus has called you to a hope. He's called you to a future. He's called you to have a present. He's called you to know his power in your life today. That you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in you, the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe 
That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. He is risen above all these things. Amen. He is Lord over all. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And God has raised up this resurrected Jesus Christ and placed him at his right hand. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every, every title that can be given. Not only in this present age but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet. For the uh, placed under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything and in every way. Paul saying the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that God is imparting unto his people. Amen. Come on, the same power. That God exerted in re- if, you, if you want to read the Greek it's Hyperbalio Megathos Dumanus. There you are, you can see three Greek words now. Hyper, hyperbalio, which means that it, is, uh, it goes beyond the mark. You know, we who failed, we didn't reach the mark because Paul tells us well, we all have come short of the mark. But in the resurrecting power, this exceedingly great, mighty power, this hyperbalion goes beyond the mark. He wants to take you beyond where we could only go in failure on our own. Because we're linked to the resurrected Christ, he takes us beyond the mark. Exceeding great megathos. You know, I think, uh, I think we use mega uh, in, the, in the mathematical world. You can, you can put me right if you're wrong. But it stands for a million, you know. Mega is, is a capital M in, in mathematical equations, I believe. But it's, uh, it's great. It's, it's, it's mega. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Uh, and then this, this, and it's only used here in Ephesians one, this word megathos and then this power is dominus you know, it's dominus, I hear people uh, preaching all the time about it's the dynamite of God I want to say that uh, I, d- I don't agree with that <laughs> you can speak to me after about why I don't, because I believe that the, that the word, the, the English word that comes from dunamis is dynamo that generation of power, that power it keeps on see, to me dynamite is destructive to me so dynamite is man made but if you look at your English dictionary, you'll find that the, the main word that comes from Dumas is dynamo. And so isn't it? And that gives a whole new meaning to it, isn't it? This great, wonderful, this power that is, keep, that is generating all the time in you and in me. The same power. Hyperbalio. Megathos. Dumas. That same power that God exerted in raising Jesus from the dead is the self-same power that he gives to you and to me. How glorious is that? Because we're his body. For those who believe it says, I wonder if we all are believers this morning. See, I'm going to ask you a question this morning. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you, are you a spectator in all this? 
Are you standing on the outside of those who do not believe, looking in and saying, wow, is that what really salvation means? Is it saved by the blood of Jesus? Is it being sanctified by the cross of Jesus? Is it being filled with the power of, or the presence and the glory of God? And if you're not a believer this morning, if you've never made that personal decision of saying, yes, I want to be saved. I want to be amongst the saved this morning. I want to be amongst those who have truly got a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer this morning, as Paul says, then you enter into all of these things. But if you're not a believer this morning, if you've never made that, that personal decision this morning, you're a spectator in all of this. You're looking in and seeing what is possible. But to you, you do not have that yet. Until the moment you come into that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, when you know that you've come and said, Jesus, I know that you shed your blood for my sins. I, 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 I want to trust in that. I want to put my faith in that. And I wonder if there's a spectator in this room this morning who has never moved from being a spectator and moved into being amongst the congregation of the saved. Wouldn't it be wonderful this Easter Sunday morning if there was one in this room this morning who had never made that decision, who changed from being a spectator and to come into the congregation of the saved to experience all that Paul is writing here about Christians, about the believers. Are you a believer this morning? Are you a believer this morning? See, I believe that that's what God's looking for. He's looking for people who believe. Are you a believer this morning? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Or are you still a spectator? That all this, it, it, it looks good, it sounds good, but you haven't yet put forth the hand of faith. And grasped it. Wouldn't it be wonderful this morning? If God, I was preaching in Glasgow last uh, well, last Sunday, and it was Palm Sunday, of course. And my my message was uh, was a cheering crowd. And my question to them last week was, Are you amongst the cheering crowd, or are you a committed Christian? And at the end of it, one dear lady came up and she says, When I go to this church, I'm called I'm called the minister. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, when I, so at the end it said minister <coughs> she says I would love to come from the cheering crowd, crowd into being a committed Christian and I had the amazing joy last week of leading this lady to the Lord because she no longer wanted to be on the outside she no longer wanted to be on the crowd that just cheered and, and, and as I asked the question so not, not all, she didn't want to be a spectator she wanted to know something or the power of God working in her life to know the power of the resurrected life and as you know that power because it's in Christ who is seated far above all things and he, God has placed all things under his feet what does that mean? What does all things mean? It's self-explanatory. It means all things. There is nothing. There is nothing in this earth, in this age, or in the age to come that is not being placed under the feet of Jesus. Amen? That's the power of a resurrected life. That's the power that Jesus lives in today. He lives in the power that everything has been put under his feet and no matter what you are going through in this room this morning no matter what it is I want to tell you it's already under the feet of Jesus Amen 
Therefore, we are, we are on the victory side. <laughs> Come on now, we're on the victory side because all things, all things have been put under his feet. And he is made to be head over all things. Everything. He's the head of everything. The powerful, wonderful, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, living in the power of an endless life, and all things are under his feet, and he is the head of everything. That's the saviour that believers serve this morning. Amen? Come on, you don't want to be a spectator on this this morning, do you? You want to come into the fullness of all that's happening in the Christian life. Because God has said the same power that God exerted in order to raise Jesus from the dead is exactly the same power that he has given towards us. We are earthen vessels. Paul goes on to write that in Corinthians. We are earthen earthen vessels. I know I'm an earthen vessel. I've been on the block a few times. I'm a bit cracked. I'm a bit chipped. I'm about out of shape. But God chooses by his grace and his mercy to display in the likes of you and me his all-surpassing power. Amen? Hey, come on now. His all-surpassing power. His glory, his presence, his beauty. He wants to indwell these jars of clay. Are you experiencing that this morning? Do you feel that, oh, I'm just a jar of clay? I want to tell you, if you're a believer this morning, yeah, you're a jar of clay, but shining out through that jar of clay is the presence and glory and power of a risen Saviour. Amen? Yeah? And he calls us to live in that power. He calls us to live in that place. It's not pie in the sky, this. This is not pie in the sky. This is practical Christian living in the power of a resurrected life. Amen? Because when you are baptized, you go into the, into the tank, into the water, which is uh, being part of his death and his burial. And when you rise out of that water, you rise into this newness of life. Wouldn't it be wonderful this morning if there was a spectator want to say, yeah, I want to be saved. And this afternoon we baptized you. And you received the Holy Spirit. You know, that's biblical. That's what Peter did on the day of Pentecost. Believe, repent and believe and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be a wonderful enactment of the early church this morning if we found, if we had one who were changing from a spectator to accepting Jesus Christ as a saviour, to be baptised and to know the fullness of God's Holy Spirit. I want you to turn back in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 1. There's so much more I can say in this, but no, I just want to come back to Acts chapter 1. And it's all been easy this morning, an entry in God's diary, an empty tomb in reality, experience the power of a resurrected life in our everyday lives. And now I want to just close by reading some verses in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 9. After he had said this, this is Jesus, he was taken up before them, their eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, we spoke about this same power, right? Now we're going to speak about this same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Wow. 
I wonder what E that could be expectation of the return of the Saviour. Let me ask you a question here. No one knows the times or the seasons, that's what Jesus said. And he himself doesn't even know the time of his return except God the Father. But suppose we had some inside information this morning. We haven't, but just just bear with me, right? If we had some inside information that Jesus was coming back at half past five this afternoon, what is the changes that you would make in your life in order to meet him face to face? And if there are changes that you need to make in your life, whether it's coming to faith in Christ, whether it's to change what you do, your opinion, what is to change anything that's in your life that you know is wrong. As a Christian, you're not living in the full power of this resurrection. And if you know that Jesus Christ was coming back at half past, half past five this afternoon, what changes would you make? If you're an unbeliever, you would make sure that you were saved. Because once he comes back, there's no opportunity. And you don't want to be, when when you see him face to face, you don't want to be ashamed at this coming, do you? You want to be ready and waiting and looking so you can look at him face to face and say, face to face with Christ my Saviour. Face to face, what will it be? When in beauty I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. I want to tell you, you could come back at half past five today. Because there's nothing to stop the return of Jesus Christ today. And if you're an unbeliever today, I want to tell you, the clock is ticking. It's time to be saved. If you're a Christian today who's not living in the fullness of this powerful, resurrected life, it's time to embrace it. It's time to say, yes, I want this. And if you're distracted today or disappointed today, Jesus wants to give you the fullness of himself in order that you come into full fellowship with him. And this same Jesus, whom you have seen being taken up into heaven, will come back in like manner as you have seen him go. What a prospect for the Christian this morning. That this life that we have here is not the end. There is a glorious future for all the believers in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Thessalonians, the the trumpet shall sound. We'll hear that trumpet. And we'll be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. From an empty tomb to dwelling in the fullness of heaven. And we're waiting for that day experiencing the fullness of a resurrected life. What a wonderful thing it is to be a believer this morning. Amen. What a wonderful thing it is to be a Christian this morning. What a wonderful thing it is to know that your sins are forgiven this morning. It's wonderful to know that that the life that you live can be lived in the power of the risen Christ. No matter what you feel or what you're going through, you are still able to live in the fullness of this resurrected life. Because God says it's to us for it. It's for you and for me. And he's coming back again. And we're going to see the one that died on the cross. We're going to see the one who was in the tomb. We're going to see the one who rose victorious from the grave. We're going to see him face to face. And we're going to dwell with him throughout the ages of eternity. What a prospect.
the possibility is that we can enter into all the eternal fullness of that today but if you're not a believer and you stay a spectator then this message means nothing to you not a thing because you won't be part of it what a challenge this morning a cross an empty tomb a filled heaven and will you be amongst the congregation of the saved who will worship before the throne of the Lamb saying unto him that loved us and loosed us and washed us in his own blood be glory and power dominion because he deserves that he is king of kings and he is lord of lords let us love in the power of the resurrected Christ and if you're only a spectator on this this morning why don't you come and accept Jesus Christ as your saviour repent of your sins it can be done here in this room today it's nothing fancy, it's nothing big I'm not going to ask you to stand up and come forward but I want you to tell you that to enter into all the fullness of this life you have to come repent and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and you will change from being a spectator into enjoying the fullness of the resurrected wonderful, glorious powerful life in Jesus Christ. Amen.